Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Oh, hello. Uh, welcome to Ruined. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And this is a podcast. We wrote a horror movie just for you. Just for all of you. Hallie, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm sort of, uh, I have a little patch of, of grass next to my apartment. Okay. And between me and a fence. And I've become consumed with trying to plant something back there. Mm. But I know nothing about anything. So I'm, I, I'm literally just Googling growing plants. Plants? I... Because it's like, it's a very shaded area. I don't know if the soil's any good, like if you were to just plant yeah. something to eat. It's sort of, I'm starting at square one, but I feel like there are plenty of people who do know this. I just yes. need to start that Our conversation. producer, Sabrina, can definitely walk you through this uh, as a gardening expert. I will say, like, do you like mint? I love mint. I, mint grows like a weed. Um, Ooh, okay. So I have a big pot of mint out on my terrace, and See? I barely deal with it, and it's just there, and I just... Snip some off whenever I want it, and it smells nice out there, and also allegedly is a mosquito repellent. Ooh, okay. See, so. and just by bringing it up, I already have so much more information, so I really appreciate that. Yeah. Look at this. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, you know, we, we don't really ask each other about a horror, but I do, I, I, I guess there is room for nice Indecision. things. Indecision is a horror. <laughs> Not knowing what to do is horrific. <laughs> um, do you have anything horrible, horrifying happening in your life, Allison? Not horrifying, but I am getting served a lot of, we're back to TikTok, um, mm-hmm. like um, ear cleaning content. Oh my God. And what is going is on with that? it is disgusting, but I'm like, I am interested. What is the way we're supposed to be cleaning our ears? Because we're not well, supposed not to be Q-tips. Q-tips. We know this. It's and not yet. Q-tips. And, and yet, like, well, I remember once I felt like there was a lot of wax in my ear and I talked to a friend and he was like, I went to urgent care and they like flushed it and this huge piece came out and it felt so much better. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll go try and do that. And they were like, I got to urgent care and they like looked at my ears. They were like, there's no wax in yours. <laughs> I was oh, like, okay. Oh, I mean, good, but I, I don't guess know. we could and do that years at ago. home. There are like kind of like things where it's like kind of a, tub you put like up against under your ear and you just flush with water something about so, that is so it's it, disgusting. it makes my skin crawl. I don't know what, what that was is. inside is yes gross. yeah um, it's very pimple popper it's very yes. it is natural but it feels unnatural because you're seeing mm-hmm. something you don't normally see we kind of talk about this way like uh, seeing a, a photo of a cervix for the first time yes, i'm like yes, i know yes. this is normal i just am not used to seeing it out in the wild yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just yeah yeah, Damn. so I'm. It's getting served to me in a way where I'm like, it's making me, you know, yeah. you see something enough, you suddenly become interested in it, and I'm like, is oh, this absolutely. because I'm like, does TikTok know that my ears are waxy? Like, should I go do something about? It? I don't know. 
Well, TikTok I knew that all. I was queer before I did. So I, yeah, so it's probably Allison, I think you're insight into earwax. I think you've insane about earwax, and TikTok is trying desperately to tell you. All I want to do is jam a Q-tip in there. God, that feels so good. But then I guess it just pushes it down further. Yeah, and like and like pushes it to the side, so it like is. Why don't we know how to do this? I feel like this is something that people think about every day. And it's like, there should be, we should have a clear answer. I saw answer. one girl talking about a tool she has that looks like a Q-tip, but it's like an empty metal spiral. And by like turning it, it kind of, instead of like pushing the wax out, it it brings the, it in and then you just kind of clean out the spiral. Ooh, Does that make okay. sense? I guess so. I just imagine it would immediately go through my eardrum. Yeah, it sounds... I think it's designed to be safe, but again, it feels like not something I should be left to do. <laughs> um, feels like a doctor should be stepping in, but we'll see. I don't know. That's horrific, but also I can't stop <laughs> thinking about it, which isn't that the definition of something horrible. <laughs> horrible. Um, well, speaking of that segue, and it's like horrifying, we, of course, are talking every week about Crooked's uh, Fuck Bands, Leave Queer Kids Alone campaign. Um, which we are, they launched this month for Pride, but it's going to be going um, throughout the year. And basically the idea is that, uh, you know, there's no surprise to you. We talk about this constantly on the podcast. Yes. Queer and trans people are under attack, and specifically queer and, and trans young people and their families in Texas, in Florida, in all of these red states. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's horrifying. So uh, Vote Save America, which is sort of the political action arm of Crooked, has launched a uh, site for donations and uh, for you to become involved. And you can go to that right now at votesaveamerica.com slash fuckbans. Yes. Um, if you donate, they want to raise $50,000 over the course of the month. Uh, I feel confident we will do that and more. And your money will go to places like the Transgender Law Center, the Trans Justice Funding Project, and the Trans Youth Equality Foundation. Yes. The people who oppose trans health care and trans existence are a very small minority, but they are vocal. And I think it's important that even though we all are fully in support of trans and queer youths and adults, we need to def- like completely obliterate that sound. We need to like make sure that we are louder and we are giving more and proving just how common and accepted and loved queer and trans people are in this country. When Everyone in the nation is being um, inundated with negative propaganda about trans people and queer people. It is our job to be talking positively and creating positive images and discussing to push back because there are a lot of people who are who are just hearing the negative sides. We're just hearing these insane, disgusting lies about trans and queer people. So whatever you're listening, whatever your field is, whatever your study is, and if you're queer or trans or both, we're we're we hearts you. and our souls are with you. We love you. And obviously, again, I have said before, I am an optimist, uh, despite all reality. But yes. here, here's one of the things that we are doing, which, of course, is talking about it. And, of course, donating money to go to different organizations. And you can go and donate yourself and learn more at votesaveamerica.com slash fuckbands. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it now, we're going to bring it up again. You yep. know what I mean? We'll we're bring gonna it up bringing next it up. week, baby. Always. Um, yeah, so we are continuing our Pride Month uh uh, scheduling. Now, this is not a movie that I think you would necessarily think go in Pride Month, but there is something, I had this conversation with a friend recently, a straight friend, and not that recently, but within the last couple months, where yeah. basically, uh, she said, wow, like, did you know at some um, uh, college, they're doing a straight studies, or heterosexual studies um, focus. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of what gay studies and, like, queer studies is. It, it's that's the inverse, you know. Right. A lot of queer studies 
is about how queerness operates when you have a straight or a heterosexual yeah. um, framework. And she's like, yeah, but they're studying straightness. And I was like, oh, it's the same thing, but you have to sort of reframe it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, 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 it does. So I wanted, I wanted to do a movie that seems so extremely straight, but it's also extremely confusing about what it's trying to say. Okay, And I definitely read some reviews, and people have different opinions. Um, I, at the time, did not love this movie. Um, there's a lot in it. I We're going to get into it. The other reason I wanted to pick this is because this is one of the last movies I saw with my my former fiancé, Dave, uh, at the time, boyfriend of the pod, that ex-boyfriend, now by friend of the pod. And this was sort of like an interesting movie to see in this sort of, again, liminal space yes. where I was realizing it was queer. I was just about to tell him. And the two movies we saw were Crimes of the Future, which we did back in April. Yes, go listen to that uh, episode. And the movie that we're and the second movie was the movie we're doing this week, which is Alex Garland's Men. Yes. Now you I remember heard we almost movie? did this for a live show, and then yes. you changed your mind after seeing it. I think. Yeah, it is. Well, we're going to get into it, and unfortunately, Allison, I'm going to ask you at the end. What do you think this movie was trying to oh say? Oh, God, I won't know. I will. <laughs> you're going to have to come up with something. But before okay. we do, we always like to have Allison uh, react to the trailer. Allison, what did you think of the trailer uh, for the film Men? I mean, the trailer is scary. Yes. Like, it, I think, like, anytime you're, like, a person who is alone in a place— and then there are other people that seem to all know each other, and people kind of are showing up, and you're unclear of ever, what everybody's motiva- motivations are. Like, that's a very scary scenario to be in. Yeah. Um, now, is everyone in this movie played by the actress who plays the lead? So, um, yeah, so Jessie Buckley plays the protagonist. She is mm. a, a a widowed woman. She's traveling to the countryside in Britain. And then pretty much every every other man, except for one— is played by the same actor, Rory Kinnear. Oh, okay. Oh, it's not, okay, so it's not her. Because at first I was like, is it her? And then I was like, how do they make this? Well, and there are definitely, like, uh, Rory Kinnear is in a bunch of different costumes, wigs. He is also CGI'd onto a child's body. So you can be forgiven for having, like, that weird uncanny, like, whose face is that supposed to be? He and her also both have kind of, like, um, like a wider face and like a wider set face. eyes, very British. Um, but like the, there are enough like physical similarities where I'm like, is that her dressed as a man? No, I completely get that. Um, but no, it is played by okay, one so gentleman. Another guy. Yes. And it is not commented upon in the movie. So that is simply for us. Mm-hmm, we yeah. are experiencing all these men as being played by the same person. I mean, I'm assuming. Uh, Jesse Buckley's character is also in some way experiencing as all the same person, but yeah. it's not like she eventually says, oh my God, it's that same guy. It's, she never calls it out. Um, was there anything in the trailer that stood out to you as like a particularly scary moment or like a, like, uh-oh? I mean, obviously like somebody following her out of the woods, like very scary moment and like kind of knowing a little bit of her story when it, that we get teased like is a very scary thing but like when she bites into that apple and the I believe that I, I guess like the Airbnb host or like whoever mm-hmm. this guy yes. is um, is like don't do that and then it's like I'm just kidding forbidden fruit lol like it's just such an unsettling moment that it to me yeah. that was very chilling Um, uh, we also like to take a baseline scary to see where Allison is at Allison how scary do you find the concept of men very. Mm-hmm. And what about them? What about um, them do you think is scary? I think, like, 
I mean, obviously, like, just, like, the physical power that men have over women is just objectively, like, something that we uh, deal with and are constantly taught to be afraid of as, you know, because men use that strength often against uh, women and other people. Um, I think it's, like, there is something of, like, um, men feel very conspiratorial to me in a way that— Even though women are the ones who are always, like, considered— or like femme people in general, gay people, I th- like gay men, I think, like like gossipy and like, mm-hmm. you know, chatting at a little secret, like hanging out over here. I mean, there's something where it's like, I just feel like all men like low-key know each other. In a way. Like That's really like, fascinating. When I think about like the comedy community, you know, as I was coming up and just feeling like, even these guys that don't know each other are in a club with each other that I'm not a part of. And like... That, you know, expressed itself in, like, different ways as, yeah. like, in this industry. But I think, like, in general, there is kind of a an unspoken bond that men have that doesn't, you know, it, it does exist for women in a different way. But, like, there, it, it, it's scarier in when you can notice it in men. Yeah, I think there's definitely something. I, I look back at, like, all the ways that I sort of edited myself in mm-hmm. those comedy spaces to be more acceptable, specifically yeah. to white, straight, straight white cis men. men, who, of course, were the people who had sort of any power. And, and it was always, like, the and fallacy of stand-up. Oh, yeah. 100%. Like, and then, like, how you, if and I think even, like, if you were to, like, dress more feminine, how immediately you received more attention. Now that the attention was inherently good or bad, no. it was just sort of, like, you were so much more noticeable. Yes. And I think there's a lot, of, this movie is sort of exploring that. But I also, we'll talk about this at the end, I think to me, um, as someone who's enjoying, frankly, thinks that there a lot of good things are coming from the gender revolution that we're in right yeah. now. I think the transness sort of complicates a lot of this as does queerness in a mm-hmm. way that makes me hopeful. Yes, but I think 100%. this movie is exploring what you're saying where there is this like, you ha- you enter these spaces being like, all right, is this going to be normal or is this going to be all these yes. guys know each other and mm-hmm. uh, they're going to treat me like this other that I have to be aware of and then it's on me as, you know, as a woman to yeah. sort of navigate that, which happens constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is both. And yeah. um, and also, there's other stuff with this. I'm like, I don't know what the point of this is. So we'll talk about that well, as well. I look forward to that confusion. Um, and so would you like to, before we get started, would you like to guess the twist in the movie Men? Guess the twist. Okay, so we know from the, tra- like, in the trailer, she explains that her husband died by suicide by jumping off their balcony, and that's why she's kind of in this new place. I'm going to guess the guy who follows her out of the woods actually murdered her husband by Ooh, pushing okay. him off the balcony somehow. Great. Um, and that all of these men are in on that. Okay, great. To get her Love to this, this place to possibly just kill her. So let us begin ruining men. I mean, let's (laughs) ruin men. (laughs) Honest, poor bastards ruin themselves, I'll be honest. That's very true. So we open on Harper. She is, uh, we're constantly cutting back to the day, the day of her husband's death. And it's, uh, we're seeing her in their apartment. It's at sunset, so everything has this sort of red glow. Mm -hmm. She's stunned. She's looking through the open patio onto the balcony door, bloody nose, and sort of robotically goes forward to shut the door. And as she does... She locks eyes with her husband, James, as he plummets from the balcony above. So chilling. 
And he, they both look, and they both look shocked. So you know what that means, Allison? Road trip. I'm also going to flag now because this is a conversation that Dave and I have, and this is like going to be a conversation we have at the end is, James, her husband, is black. Mm-hmm. He is the only black person in yes. this movie. He is the only man played by someone other than Rory Kinnear. Yes. Why the, that was decision was made, we have a conversation we'll have at the end. Okay. And I don't know if there's a very satisfying answer, if you ask me. Yeah. But we see Harper. She drives up to this gorgeous little country house. She's Airbnb'd it for two whole weeks. You know, she just wants to get out of the city, reset, yes. relax. She's in a little town called Cotson, Herefordshire. Very British. And she pulls up, and there's, like, a beautiful, like, manicured lawn in front, and she picks an apple off the tree, as we see on the trailer. And she knocks on the door, and we see the odor, Joffrey. And, I'm sorry, it's Jeffrey. It's just spelled Joffrey. <laughs> the odor, Jeffrey, opens the door, and he is, like, very classically goofy, British, like, jokey. And he has her come in. He's like, oh, the house is over 500 years old. Shakespeare. Marlowe in Shakespeare. You know, trying to joke. And he says to her, oh, well, you must have baggage. And, and Arbor says, excuse me? She says, oh, in the car. You must have bags. I can get them. Mm, okay. So there's going to be a lot of those moments where she says, uh, what did you uh, say? He says, what? just a normal thing. I said a normal yes, thing. I certainly right. didn't say anything alluding Piercing. to your husband's demise. Yes. <laughs> so he goes out to get them. We see him drop the bags on the ground. He's sort of fumbling around. It is a stunning home. Like we have like huge like glass doors in the back leading to Ugh. this garden. And then beyond a it, it's garden. a field and a, and a forest. It's there's fruit trees, and it, it, as we saw in the trailer, we see he sees her half-eaten apple. He says, "Is that from the tree?" And she says, "Oh, I, I just took it off." He says, "No, no, no, forbidden fruit, mustn't eat." And so she thinks, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." He goes, "I'm just kidding. Eat as many as you like. Make chutney, okay?" So there's a lot of uh, is he joking? Is he mad? He's sort of like playing with that, and like a man saying forbidden fruit to a woman who ate an apple. Like there's all oh, of that symbolism. Exactly. And I want to be honest, just to keep this in mind, the name of the movie is men. So yep. you know, what I mean, when we get into it, it's like we're we're calling we're it doing like we it. Season, right? Yeah. So he shows around. The TV reception gets bad when it rains. He's like, "Sorry, we're out. We're kind of out here in the middle." Uh, of nowhere is a giant, beautiful giant tub. But he said, just one thing, ladies, be careful what you flush. Okay, septic tank and all. And she's like, okay, no problem. Okay. And he shows her the master bedroom, stunning, gorgeous. And he says, in the distance, it's the spire of the church. And he said, there's a great pub, a 10-minute walk from here. 10-minute walk there, 30-minute walk back. Am I right? And she says, okay, <laughs> dude, sounds good. <laughs> Too involved. Like, this is a nightmare Airbnb host. Exactly. And she's like, get out of here, get out of here. I don't want to meet the host of an Airbnb. Yeah, I want to show up and have keys in the lockbox and never hear from you. <laughs> and he clearly, like, wants to know about her life and be like, oh, mm-hmm. so, you know, he gives her the keys and says, honestly, you don't even need it. Like, people don't even lock their doors out here. And he, she's like, I will be doing that locking, locking door. door. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, how is your hubby going to be joining you? And, and she says, excuse me. And he's like, oh, it's Mrs. Marlowe. You put Mrs. Marlowe, I, I just assumed. And she says, um, no, he, he he's not in the picture. I haven't changed the Mrs. or the Marlowe yet. And she, he goes, oh, again, like, oh, my God, a divorced woman. I'm so sorry. That's horrifying and disgusting. Mm-hmm. I'll be out of my way. So he leaves, and she FaceTimes her friend Riley and starts to show her around. But it's like, I'll give you a full tour later. And she says, he kind of, Jeffrey, the Airbnb guy, kind of asked about James. And I wrote Mrs. when I filled out the the form. I don't know why I did that. It just sort of happened. Yeah. But I know this is going to be happening a lot. And Riley starts to interject, and she's like, no, I know. I have to get used to it. I let him think that James and I are divorced. You know, I didn't really want to get into it with him. Mm-hmm. And Riley's like, I wasn't going to say that. I was actually going to say, do you know that 
elephants are the only animals that can't jump. So they kind of have like a fun like back and forth. Okay. Meanwhile, Harper goes to unpack and she cuts to James falling face. And again, we cut to him. He's falling outside the window and we see her scream behind the patio door silently. Mm-hmm. And again, then she's back in the current day. She's sobbing. You know, she keeps going back that day over and over again. And we see what started that his death. Uh, well, not started. Obviously, this is an ongoing um, abusive relationship they were in. Harper has told James that she wants a divorce. And he's like, we made vows in a church. You're not just divorcing me. You are throwing everything away. She's like, I cannot live like this. This is, we do not have a functional relationship. And he says, if you leave me, I will kill myself. Now, I am sorry you will have to live with my death on your conscience, but it's the truth. And she says, you can't do that. You cannot manipulate me. He's like, it's not manipulation. It's not a threat. It's the truth. I will kill myself. And she's like, this is why we are have to get divorced. Yeah. I can't live like this. You can't say that to me. You can't hold that over my head if I'm not happy. Like, and so, but again, it's like, it's already so dysfunctional that he is immediately going to, I'm going to kill myself, yeah. which unfortunately is kind of a common thing that abusive people do. Because then of course you're terrified. You're like, you do, you love this That's person. Kind of the ultimate threat. Exactly. Because it's like, oh, it puts it on you. It, yeah, it's exactly. saying it will be your fault. You will be blamed. You will be carried. You This will haunt you, you know? Yes. Uh, rather than I would be the person doing it, I have I, I have control right. over my actions. It's putting it again on the this abuse victim. So back again, Harper trying to enjoy her Airbnb keeps cutting to this day. Obviously, wiping her eyes. It, it doesn't say how long it's been, but I can only imagine it's only been like a couple months or something since this mm-hmm. happened. It's certainly not been more than a year. And she puts on her coat and she's going to take a stroll. She locks the door behind her. We see her walking Allison the fucking countryside. It is that vivid, like, shamrock neon green of spring. So nice. It's so pretty. And she, like, runs in a tree when there's, a, a like, a spring shower. And she's smiling. And, again, she's enjoying nature, taking refuge in nature. But, of course, nature also holds a threat. Of and course. is that nature human nature? I guess. Mm, we'll get probably. into it. We'll see. <laughs> and to me, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, I want a movie to punch, punch me in the fucking face with what yeah. it's about. Like, yep, I, that's where I'm at. Spell it so out. I'm just like, okay, all right, we're enjoying it. And she comes to a long um, railroad tunnel. So obviously a railroad ran through here. It's one of those big, long tunnels, but there's okay. no track anymore. Anymore, okay. And she comes and she starts, she yells like, ah. So she yells and she, you could hear it echo. And she starts to like build a song with herself in the echo. So the tunnel's so long. And so she's kind of like singing and like the song repeats and she's like laughing. It's like, it's so satisfying. Allison, she starts to walk down the tunnel and you can see the, the far end, but she hasn't really been looking Mm-mm. at the far end. No, that it's, I don't care Allison. if you can see the far end. If you can't see every single thing that's in that tunnel, I'm not going in it. She sees at the end of the tunnel, there's a man sitting on the ground. And it's not like a place that a person would just be sitting. Right. They're sitting essentially in the middle of the yeah. pathway. He's this person. It's obviously a man stands up and stares at her, and he's standing bad. He's got that bad stand. What's a bad stand? Kind of just like oh, a little bit off. And, yeah, a little bit off kilter. Oh. Like one shoulder up, one knee like down. It. I don't like something it. a little unhuman. And we hear the screech like a crow. Again, oh. a bird sound. A lot of birds. So many birds. He we hear screech. Allison, the man starts sprinting at Harper. 
Going from a bad stand to a sprint. A dead you fucking don't sprint. Want to see it. Allison, what would you do at this at this point in the film? What would you do? I mean, I'd sprint the other way. Um, I would piss and shit my pants. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most right likely that. Both because I wouldn't be able to stop myself, and then also because it would maybe lighten the load. Yes. And I would, I, in this situation, I would be wearing big enough pants that I could just poop down the leg, I suppose. Yeah, a loose pant, so it's kind of just a, a tunnel of its yeah, own. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> most of the pants I wear. Yeah. How, how much do you think an average shit weighs? Like, how much do you think, I, like a pound? Couple That's pounds. insane. Why did yeah. I say that? A pound? I'm Googling Two? this. I, it's, it's so hard to know. Yeah, because what is an average? How do you take an average of something like that? Uh, yeah, I think, like, I mean, there are people who, like, weigh themselves before and after they go to the bathroom. I don't know I've about never that. done that, so I don't have any kind of context for what amount we're talking about. All right, I Googled— I um, think it how- also depends. Absolutely, if you've had a big meal, if yeah. you're— you know, How much you eat? A little backed um, up, yeah. So I, I Googled how much does an average shit weigh, and it says around Did you one specify fourth- human? Oh, I didn't Google. I didn't specify that, but I think it's giving me human. Okay, okay. Um, how Google much knows it, you're looking for human shit information. I mean, it's the one thing it does, still knows is it fucking falls apart. So uh, it's either it's around one fourth of a pound up to one pound. Okay, all right. And then the first question, you know, people also ask the first question is why did I gain two pounds after pooping? <laughs> okay, well that's the answer to that. Yeah, let's. What did that say? Um, the, it's, it's, this is from the donuthole.com, so I don't know. It <laughs> oh, is that like the, the Mayo Clinic? <laughs> yeah, exactly, but it's actually for Mayo. They just treat your illnesses with Mayo. Yeah, they don't even answer the question, so I don't who know. who could? Yeah, go see a doctor. So that was the first, what would you do? I'm going to okay. have a second one. Because okay. that to me is, that, that that's early, but th- I'm leaving. Yeah. I, if you oh. see that, I am getting in my car. I'm running to my car. I'm driving away for this If I can make town. it back to the house. I am getting my keys. I'm getting in the car. I'm leaving my stuff. I am driving away. I am not paying for this Airbnb. And I am going back to civilization. Yes. Yeah. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. So um, she, of course, does immediately start running. So thank God. Thank God. And we keep seeing, like, single dandelion seeds float by. Dandelion seeds as a a sort Mm -hmm. of a uh, a motif throughout the film. She runs and she ends up running into a, another tunnel, but this one is bricked up with a door in it. She hears behind her the birds scream again and oh. decides, fuck this, and just starts climbing the sheer side of the hill. So she's like clinging to the hill, which is smart because like hopefully that'll yeah. also take this person a minute to get up the hill. You would think, but the full sprint. This person's motivated. Yeah. 
She walks back. She's in a clearing. She walks past. There's sort of these abandoned houses that have fallen into disrepair. And she stops to look at them, which I think is too early to stop. And she hears a twig snap behind her. Yeah. See, no. She runs to the fence. She hops over and then is walking across this big, broad, empty field. Gets all the way across it and then turns to take a photo of the houses. I guess Mm -hmm. Allison, when she puts her phone down, she sees it standing in front of one of the house. One of the houses is a totally nude, lightly green colored man with his dick out. What does totally lightly nude. green colored mean? It looks like he's covered in moss or a lot of pollen. Like his skin isn't green. It like he like rolled around in it. In it? Yes. Yes. Okay. It looks like he rolled around in a field and it stained him green. Okay. But he still looks and like a human nude. man. Now, Allison, in this situation. What would you do? What would you do? If he comes near me, I'm kicking him in the junk. Yeah, you gotta be willing to I fight this I think you could really do a little, you could, you could slow him down pretty seriously by doing that. He's got nothing on, so. Um, and then running more. Yeah. Running away. Absolutely. Pooping again and running away. Allison, we cut to James's dead body. And I think I will say I definitely took this movie harder as a white woman dating a black man. Yes. I, there's no way that this scene wasn't going to be upsetting, but no, I it's do feel extra like. Extra layers of. Yeah. It just, it hit me connection. really wrong. Yeah. And we see her and she walks out of her building and we see James's body. It's brutal. I also think, again, this is a, a Alex Gar- Garland is British. This is a British film. In America, seeing a. A black man's dead body. Like, I, I'm sorry. It's like, ve- yeah. I'm sure there are films, including horror films, where you could depict that and it would be make sense and be done with a level of craft. This did not feel like that to me, you know? Yeah. So we see his body. He he has fallen on top of a spiked fence, a spiked oh, iron fence, Allison. So we see one of the spikes has gone through his left palm and is sort of like holding him up. And his head has been bashed against the fence. And his right ankle is sort of snapped into a 90-degree angle, and he's bleeding out everywhere. Cool. So, again, she, Harper has gotten back to the house safely. Allison, she saw this nude green man. What does she do? She gets into the fucking bathtub. I mean, what if ever there has been a worse time to take a bath. What are we doing? What are that we doing? That motherfucker could be outside the house. I'd at least be calling people. I'd be Not freaking out. Like, I'd call Jeffrey. Is that the same guy as the— other guy? Right, exactly. Did that guy there chase be two you of them and out then there. take... I didn't even think about that. You're absolutely right. I assumed this was two different guys. They could be buddies, Allison. They're probably working together. Of course, and I didn't say this before, the green man, and we haven't seen him up close, but we know it is also played by Rory Kinnear. Right. So she texts Riley the photo. Riley just replies back, OMG. If you sent me that photo, Allison, I would at least call you back. It'd be like, bitch, get out of there. What are you I would doing? I want to make sure that you're on the other end of that phone call. I'd like, like say, go to the Marriott, where at least there's other people there. Where exactly, for all you know, this guy got a hold of your phone. And is like, LOL, look at me. LOL, your friend's dead. <laughs> I'm green. She goes to sleep. In the morning, we see Harper, Harper brushing her teeth. And she sort of sits down to play the piano in like a long sleeve dress, which is a, to me a wild thing. If you're in an Airbnb for two weeks, I am wearing sweatpants. I'm not putting on an outfit or whatever. It's robe time, baby. 
we see, and we, she's playing, and we do see it's like gorgeous out. Like we see the lights and like the clouds move over. And it's like the verdant countryside. We see like lavender fields, lily pads, beautiful. She stops playing and she cuts herself a grapefruit and she has to do some work. So she puts her back to the garden doors and puts her AirPods in and makes a work call. Allison, you know, the second she gets on that work call, the nude green man is walking through the back garden. She is making every wrong decision. Like every, every second. Getting in the back, putting on headphones, having your back to the wide open space where you saw one to two men who tried to follow you. At least one of them was nude. And green. She makes a call. They're like, "Ah," she's like, I don't know. The margins don't look good. You know, one of those business calls you have on the margins. Sure. And so, of course, she goes up to get the kitchen. And every time she gets up, like, he's slightly out of view. So she turns the door right as he passes around the side of the house Riley calls and says, okay, give me that tour of the house you promised me. And so uh, after the work call and Riley, she walks Riley through on FaceTime. We see the green man watching Harper through the window. Finally, Harper gets to the living room and then she finally sees the nude green man. who's now taking an apple off the tree. He's also, Allison, all scratched up. I'm assuming because he's nude. Right. It's like you're walking through brush. Allison, what does she say to her friend who's on the phone? She says, I'll call you back and hangs up. Why? Keep her on the phone. I don't want to say that whatever happens to her, she deserves. But she is making all of the choices where it's like, inevitably things are going to happen to you if this is what you're doing in this scenario. And I also think, and again, like, I'm not saying, horror, horror movies are hard to write. But at a certain point, it's like, it's less interesting. It's less engaging if she's not, if we're ahead of her, if we're thinking of things yes. she's not thinking of, it's not as fun. It's kind of like a little. Right. Like if we boring. have a little more information, that's one thing. But like, yes. we all have the same amount of information at this point and no one would do any of those things unless 100%. they wanted to get scared, hurt, or died. Luckily, she at least does the right thing and calls 999, which apparently is 911 over there. I didn't know that. That's fun. And calls to the police. Allison, she realizes that the front door is open ajar. Another thing neither of us would ever do. No. She runs to lock it, only for the green man to stick his hands through the mail slot and try to grab her. And she screams on the phone, and the operator thankfully says, the police are on their way. Harper, in this moment, has a flashback to her argument with James that day that he died. And he overturns the bedside table and she's texting Riley. He's really scaring me this time. This is obviously, it's very, this has happened before. You know, he blows up. Um, Really quick. I forget if this, if you had said this. How long after his death is she at this Airbnb? I don't know. But I think it's a couple months. It doesn't say, okay. it, do, it seems, it, it's not weeks, but it's definitely not over a year. So I think we're going to think okay. he died. They had the Within funeral. He's, maybe it's like a month or two. She's getting out of town. So it's still very raw. Right? Obviously it would be. But it's not like it's been five years or something like that. So in her memory, she James walks in and grabs her phone to look at her text to Riley. And he's like, you're trying to make yourself look like the fucking victim, but you're the one scaring me with the way you're acting. So what did you say to your that bitch friend of yours? Unlock your phone. <sighs> Harper refuses, and James punches her in the face, knocking her to the ground, blooding <sighs> her nose. Again, to have the only black character in a movie be a black be man a who is ab- beating abuser. a white woman in a domestic violence situation, I, to me, this feels like— I don't like it. This does—and, like, I'm not saying, like, America, obviously we are 
a racist country, and I'm not saying that we don't do this. There is something British where British, there's like quote unquote colorblind casting. And that's what this feels yeah. like to me, where it's like totally. We want to have a person of color, but we already cast the two white leads. Yeah. So we're just going to make it a black man without considering how this the looks optics. or this feels. Yeah. And then I also yeah. like, is he the only other man because he's black? So visually we're to know he's not being played by the same actor, which would be even stupider. So I yeah. don't know. Watching this, I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't because, like it. Like also, if you're going to call it men, but you're not going to explore black men. Like it's like, right. this, like the, this black man is a right. villain and you're not going to talk about race other than this depiction I don't know, I don't man. Like it, it just seems like you shouldn't have done that. Like, you just yeah. weren't up to the task. Anywho, back in the current day, the police, who are played by a woman, so it's a different actress, and okay. then Rory Kinnear is playing the male cop. Okay. They arrest the green man. They, he, they put, like, a jacket over him. He doesn't resist. The Rory Kinnear male cop puts the green man in the cruiser. The female uh, police officer sits with Harper and Harper's like, I'm afraid he followed me home yesterday from the woods. Like, that motherfucker followed me. I'm afraid he's, like, stalking me now. And the I cop mean, says, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I completely understand why you'd be concerned. I think he's harmless. He's looks like he's sleeping rough. It didn't seem like you really understood where he was. We're thinking maybe he's mentally ill or, or whatever. We're going to take him down to the station. I'm so sorry about that. But I do think he's harmless. Which yeah. comforts, I guess maybe hearing it from another woman, comforts Harper, right? Yeah. And so after they leave, she calls Riley, and Riley says, I'm going to come up there and stay with you. Harper refuses. She's like, no, I'm going to stay here. It'll be fine. And she says, what are you trying to prove? Right, why not? And also, if you just want to be, like, really alone, like, go to a hotel where other where there's seats. Exactly. Like, go somewhere where it's, like, at least there's people around that, yeah. like, you could go be alone, but, like, people are aware that you're alone and are aware of the surroundings and not, I don't know. Yeah, and, and Riley's like, this isn't about being weak. And Harper's like, no, it's not. So I think she's doing this to, like, prove something, but to yeah. who? And also, not at this what? point, you know? But, you know, she she's there for two weeks. So the next day, she's wandering around. She goes to the old church, which is gorgeous. And we see on the baptismal font is a sort of an odd man's face made of leaves. And this is oh. a actual folk character in, uh, in the British Isles. His name is the Green Man. So you can imagine what we're going for here. Got it. And he is primarily interpreted as a symbol of rebirth, representing the cycle of new growth that occurs every spring. So to me, the green man is sort of like the male version of mother nature. And I think there's something about like regeneration, how many, like the fact there are so many Rory Kinnears, Mm -hmm. things repeating. And nature, mother nature is sort of like this, this concept of like the maternal like positive things of nature and the green man is like the ravening drive of nature is sort of what okay. I took on the back of this is a, of the baptismal font is a female uh, symbol is a Sheila and a gig, which I know because there's a PJ Harvey song called Sheila and a gig. If yes. you are a nineties baby. Yep. And it is a carving of a woman. And this is found all around Europe of a woman holding her vulva open so it's like a little humanoid with just holding its vagina open. Okay. And they're not exactly sure what this means. It's obviously like pre-Christian. The Christians were not going to let you get away with this. I'll tell you no, what. No, no, no. And they were placed over doors and windows, of course, according to Wikipedia, presumably to protect these openings. So I guess the vagina as opening, 
you know, okay. through through worlds. We're, we're having an open vagina. And they're used to ward off evil death and demons. So they are sort of like positive little creatures holding their pussies open to the benefit of humanity. Yes. But again, it is sort of, I think, calling to mind too, like these um, fundamental pre-Christian ideas of like a man and a woman and what that means. Right. And that's where we're sort of playing at is like these man and woman as these intractable un- roles that are unchangeable. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're in what appears to be a Catholic church or at least an Episcopalian church mm-hmm. begs the question, what are these gals doing? And what are these yeah, little yeah. guys doing in here? Yeah. Um, so she goes in there. And of course, while she's she's in the church, she has a flashback. And it's we pick up right after James is punched her in the face. And she says, what was that, James? Your plan to win me back? And James starts to apologize, of course, but she leaps up and she's screaming and pummeling him and shoves him out of the apartment. So it's like her getting hit was like, this is you, this is a lie, again, that is yes. cro- un, you cannot uncross this. Yes. And she tells him, save your fucking apologies. I don't care if you fucking kill yourself. It doesn't make any difference to me because you're never seeing me again. So it was like, this was her, this is what- The last. Yes. Yeah. The last straw. And she shoves him and literally lays blood on her hands from her nose and smears the blood on the door as she shoves him into the hallway. Back in church, Harper is screaming and sobbing at this memory, which I get it. I can only imagine how fucking devastating this would be. Like this whole fucking day. Of course, you'd revisit it a million times. Of course. Um, At the sound of her screaming, the vicar walks in. He's, of course, played by Rory Kinnear. And he's sort of like about, is about to talk to her. And he doesn't. And we see sort of a red light flash over the Sheila gig. And we see Harper and herself on that day also in red. So again, I think we're drawing the compare, mm-hmm. like her, this, her innate femaleness, the, the role of the female. Um, she walks outside and we find a child with a, a mask of a blonde lady is sitting oh, outside. Yes, that's in the trailer. I didn't love it. No, and he takes off the mask. It's Rory Kinnear, who is CGI de-aged onto a, a boy. Yeah. And he says, do you want to play a game? Hide and seek. You hide and I'll seek. She says, oh, I, I don't think I can do that. And the vicar kind of comes over and shoes the boy away. He says, go home. And the boy says, fuck off. And we turns to leave, you mumble, stupid bitch. So Harper's having a tough time with this whole uh, vac- state vacation. Yeah. This whole holiday. The vicar comes over and says, hey, I saw you in the church. You seemed really upset. Do you want to talk about it? You seem tormented. She's like, well, I don't know if I'd be tormented. I, I suppose I feel, and the Victor says, Victor says, haunted. She says, yes, that's that's the word. I'm haunted. Mm-hmm. So they sit on a bench, and I think Harper's open to some religious counseling, and she tells the Vicar about that day. And she says, after their fight, he pushed his way into the flat upstairs, went to their balcony, tried to climb down to ours, but he he slipped or or let himself go. But when he fell, if we locked eyes. But I don't even know if that's possible because I was inside and he was outside and the sun was setting. Right. So it's like, I don't even know. In my mind, it's like- If I, you can see, yeah. Yeah. So that's what she stuck on. It's like, did we actually make eye contact? Like, was that a real final moment? Or was mm-hmm. he just seeing the reflection and couldn't see that I was inside screaming? Right. And so you understand why that kind of thing you get stuck on, obviously. And the vicar says- I don't know how you would ever stop thinking about it. No. The vicar says, let me just say I understand. And he puts his hand on her upper thigh- Men. Maybe knee, upper thigh too too high. Too high. If you're if your hands on the upper thigh, even if you're, you're a too high, oh, I mean, well, especially if you're a vicar. Yeah, exactly. 
And he says, you know, I can only imagine you're feeling a tremendous amount of guilt. You know, you ask yourself, what if, if only, what if I don't sing differently? And she's like, I do think that. I think about it all the time. And the vicar says, you must wonder, I mean, why you drove him to it. And she's taken aback. She's, I didn't drive him to it. I didn't know he was going to do that. Like, I, I would never have wanted that to happen. He says, well, after he struck you, did you give him a chance to apologize? Men strike women sometime. It's not nice, but it's not a capital offense, you know? And Harper's like, what are you talking about? And he says, look, do you want things to be, do you want me to talk about things like they're easier? Do you want me to talk to you about things that are like, because they're true? So it's like, listen, this is just the reality. It's possible had you given your husband a chance to apologize, he might still be alive. Harper, to her credit, says, fuck you and storms off. But as you can imagine, he she feels worse about the whole thing than ever. Mm-hmm. And as she goes, the vicar slowly puts on chapstick and then puts his hand where Harper was sitting to feel the warmth of her ass still on the bench. Right? No. Out in the woods, we see a deer carcass rot. So we haven't oh. seen a cervid in a minute. It's so it's been a minute it's since been we've a minute. seen a cervid. Nice to have one back in the mix. And again, the an avatar of nature. Its of eyes course. have rotted out. Um, oh, good, 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 good. And we good, see good, good, a good, dandelion good. seed fall into its eye crevice. And also, again, we see the <sighs> Sheila Nagig. We see the green man, their faces again. When we cut back, the deer has decayed and is riddled with maggots. We also see the green man alone in, I guess, the tunnel. He's, like, alone in a stone tunnel. I think he, like, lives in the woods. And he's reaching up, and he's covering all these cuts, and he takes a leaf, and he sort of jams it into one of the cuts. Like, he's sort of building a green man face for himself. That night, Harper's like, I need a fucking drink after this shit. I mean, who wouldn't? And walks the 10 minutes to the pubs. Jeffrey's there. And everyone in the pub, it's all men. They're all played by Rory Kinnear. And Jeffrey's there. He's he's working at a crossword puzzle. He's like, oh, my God, everyone. My tenant is here. Please let me buy you a drink. She has a vodka soda. She's fighting him to pay for it. He's like, I am paying for it. Your money's no good here. Okay. Okay. And the police officer comes in, and she didn't tell Jeffrey about the nude green man, right? But the police officer's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I was going to call you, Jeffrey. This nude guy was walking around, dick out. Can you believe it? Jeffrey said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea, like— what happened? And I would tell him. Yes. I would tell him because, like, not that there is any good answer that he might have, but if he right. was like, down the road, there is a man. Maybe he suffers from some mental illness. Every once in a while, he's nude outside. It's like, you know, if, if there, there could Anything. be an explanation that would maybe be like, oh, okay, I'm glad I cleared that with you so I know it's something not to be afraid of in the way that I was when there's no information about him. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, like, it's an Airbnb. You're allowed to complain about whatever you want. You're going to complain about the towels. There's no dryer. Guess what? You complain about the nude man who was following you out of the woods. He's hanging around. Uh, But Harper said, it was fine. I, I, I think I maybe overreacted, but the point is the cops have him now, so it's totally fine. The cop says, yeah, well, except we had to release him about an hour ago. Harper says, what do you mean to release him? He's like, well, I'll be honest, we didn't have much to charge him with. Like, he was nude, and and you get fined for that, but like, he didn't do right. anything. Can't keep so, him. Yeah. Exactly. So we gave him some clothes, we sent him packing, and told him to be fucking scram. And again, she's like, I, he followed me out of the woods and tried to get in the house. And the cop says, right. So if you see him again, just let, him know, let us know. Mm-hmm. Totally blowing off her concern. Harper storms out and starts to walk home alone at night. In front of her, she hears that bird scream that we heard that first time when she was running out of the tunnel. 
When she turns around, we see an, like a, just an excellent shot. The, the, there's a bend in the road. It's sort of a low brick wall. And she can see in the streetlight the shadow of someone standing right around the curve of the road. Okay. And they're backlit. So she knows there's someone there. So she turns and she walk, keeps walking forward. We see the green man sort of duck out from behind a tree following her. So that's not the green man. No. Okay, great. When she gets home, I mean, not great. But. Yeah, she calls Riley, and Riley has sort of like, basically, is like, "Girl, you are not giving up. You are a girl boss. You are not going to give up your Airbnb. You pay too much." Like she's just like, "You have to stay there because I'm going to come up there. I'll be there in three hours, and if we see that naked weirdo, I'll take that fucking axe and cut his dick off, and you can choke on it." Okay. Well, she sounds great. Exactly, but also tell her to leave. Yeah, yeah. This is not the time for like. Hashtag girl boss feminism. Like, this isn't like, yeah. do it on your own, hot bitch. It's like, no, no. It's take yourself out of dangerous situations at every turn. Yeah. <laughs> and Arm says, what axe? And, and Allison, she turns, and there's an axe in the fireplace that Riley could see behind her. And Riley okay. asks the address. Of course, when she goes to tell Riley the address, the phone drops out. And when the phone drops out, she sees the glitching, screaming mouth of a man for a second. And then her phone is like dying. on her screen? On her screen. Riley texts her and says, just send your location. She does. Riley replies in all caps, I already know where you are, you stupid bitch. And then outside, Allison, the lights flicker, and they come back on, and standing in the yard is the cop from earlier. Allison. The man? Uh, the man. The, the Rory, the Rory okay. uh, Kinnear. The man. Allison, who will survive this film? Who will survive? Um, I don't think our protagonist is making it out of this. Okay, great. And I think all of the other men will survive. All right, great. Um, I think, I think friend is dead. I think I think you're right to feel this way. We'll see what happens. Um, okay. I'm excited to be very wrong and confused by the end of this, I'm sure. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. Allison, she opens the door and goes outside and tries to confront the cop. What the fuck? The lights go out. When they come back on, he has disappeared. And a torrent of apples are all falling from the apple tree. Oh, come on. She hears screaming. And then one of the men, also played by Rory Kinnear from the pub, runs up to her through the lawn. And she barely gets inside and and pushes the door closed and locks it. She goes to the kitchen, grabs a knife. Suddenly in the kitchen, a window. thought. Exactly. A window fucking shatters. She's thinking they're inside. Mm-hmm. there's a bang on the door and she screams, I have a fucking knife. Jeffrey opens the door with his key and says, what's happening? And she's like, there's someone breaking in. They just broke the window. When Jeffrey looks in the kitchen, it's not a man, it's a crow. A crow has gone straight through the window. 
I don't know what's worse. <laughs> and it has a broken neck, Allison. Hey. But it's still alive. So Jeffrey says, oh, I'm sorry you have to see this. And he just snaps the bird's neck to kill it. Oh. Oh. Harper's like, I saw the cop outside. I saw the pub guy. And Jeffrey at this point is like, okay, I, I believe you. You don't seem like someone who would make this up. I will take a look around. I am the landlord after all. And she's saying, Harper, to her, again, to her credit, it's like, don't go outside. If something's happening, there's no reason that you also won't be hurt. You know what I mean? Right. But Jeffrey turns to her and says, you have all the qualities of a military, a failed military man. And Harper okay. says, what? And he says, yeah, my father said that to me when I was seven. Anyways, time to prove him wrong. And Jeffrey marches outside. Harper trails him with a knife. He goes from the side yard. He goes to the lawn. There's nobody there. And he says, if anyone's here, I don't know what you're playing at, but you're going to get the fuck out of here, okay? The outdoor lights flicker on and off. And standing there, it's not Jeffrey anywhere else. And it's the green man. Right. And he has even more leaves coming out of all the wounds on his body. He's been out in the woods, so he's jamming leaves into his head. You know what? It seems like he doesn't have a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, he does. He blows dandelion seeds into Harper's face. And she inhales, and a tear run down, runs down her face as one of the seeds goes in her mouth. She then sees herself screaming, and we see she sees the green man in the baptismal font, the Sheila Nagig, and we see her running up against that bricked-up tunnel in the woods. Luckily, Allison, in reality, she's able to get back in the house and shut the door. Okay. But now the green man is watching her through the mail slot. See, we don't need mail slots anymore. Girl, I have a fucking mail slot. I hate it. It's scary. I hate that. It's scary. At this time, the green man puts his hand through. Harper reaches for it, and he grabs her wrist and sort of starts to pull her towards the door. She brings her knife down into his arm and then drags it towards her and splits his hand in two. So essentially, he has two fingers on one side Ooh. and three on the other. His hand is uh, a, a, a lobster hand. It's, it's bifurcated now. All yep, the way up yep. to his forearm. Yeah. Okay. 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 This okay. motherfucker doesn't even scream. Allison. It, she doesn't have time to deal with this. There's some, she hears a sound in the kitchen. We okay. see it's the little boy, Samuel. His arm is also now torn. So everyone we see from now on, the Rory Canaries of the world, their arms are now torn in half. And I think it's supposed to be evocative of her husband's hand being skewered on the, on the fence. Okay. Samuel is playing with the dead crow. And he oh, has good. put the, the the blonde lady's mask on the crow and is sort of moving it back and mm-hmm. forth. I don't know if we're supposed mm-hmm. to think like it's like as if not like he's fucking it, but like moving it in this like rhythmic way. I don't know what we were getting out there. And from here on out, I feel like everything that happens, I'm like, okay, I guess I understand. Yeah. And he tells her, You really hurt me. You're so mean. You wouldn't even play a game of hide and seek, but I think you will now. And Harper says, I will fucking cut you because she sells a butcher knife. He says, I don't think you will, but you should because this will probably be your last chance. So how about you count to 10 and hide? So she starts. But of course, then another Rory Kinnear busts in. The pub guy from earlier busts in the front door like he's Kramer. And she runs into the master bathroom. She shuts the door. Allison, another Rory Kinnear comes in. It's the vicar. Okay. And he quotes, and I think this is the most context we're going to get, right? Okay. He starts quoting from the poem Lita in the Swan by W.B. Yeats. And he, the, the section he quotes is, A shudder in the loins engenders there the broken wall, the burning roof and tower, and Agamemnon dead. 
the story, if you'll remember, is Lita and the Swan. It was, oh God, which one was it? I want to say it's not Odin. Who's the king of the gods? Zeus. Zeus. So Zeus turned into a swan yes. and uh, to impregnate Lita, right? Yes. And then she eventually bears his children. He either yes. seduces her or rapes her, depending on um, how you would like to read yeah. what. Yeah. I think we're to think that this is um, rape. Right, yeah. and he tells her this, and of course Harper doesn't want to hear this at all. No, no one does. And she finally asks him, "What the fuck are you, Swan?" So keep that. He then okay. says to her, "At the what vicar age?" Says that to her. The vicar says this. Yes. At what age do you lose your virginity? I have pictured you legs open, vagina open, mouth open. I've decided you're an expert in carnality. These things now exist in my mind. This is your power. This is the control that you exert, right? As a lesbian, I have a lot of thoughts about this. We will return to it at the end. <sighs> yeah. But this is very this is very traditional religion. Yes. A, a woman's desirability, a woman's beauty, a woman's attractiveness. It's it's a weapon, it's wicked, yep. and it's something to be used to get like the idea of the man's desire as something to control him exists mm-hmm. specifically under patriarchy. Because mm-hmm. without patriarchy, that don't make no damn sense. Like, what the fuck nope. are we talking about? Nope. So then he quotes from Ulysses and the Siren by the poet Samuel Daniel, Sam Dan. And he says, <laughs> I must be one that cannot win, yet lost were I not one. For beauty hath created been to undo or be undone. So basically what he's saying, the siren is luring Ulysses. Again, like the woman, the temptress. And he's basically saying, he says to her, you're singing to me. You want to dash me upon these rocks. And he falls to his knees and is like speaking to her pussy and says, what is this cave? What is this slit? And she takes her butcher's knife and puts it in his neck. And she says, okay, that's right. It's the tip of the blade. And he reaches up and he grabs Harper on the throat with his split hand and shoves her against the sink and starts to try to kiss her. And she stabs the knife into his ribs and kicks him against the bathtub and runs out. She gets to the car, okay? We get, she gets all the way to the fucking car, Thanks Allison. fucking God. We see her. We also see her at the same time in the house collapsing. So I'm like, is the car escape real? Are we to think? But anyways, she's driving down the road. Jeffrey okay. steps into the road. She slams into Jeffrey. Great. Throws him over. And she stops. You never stop when you hit one of the avatars of potentially the... Um, the sexually violent avatar of nature. Don't stop your car for that guy. No, definitely don't. Keep on trucking. And he, she stops. He pulls open the door and says, Ms. Marlowe. I'm kidding. Mrs. Marlowe. And he hauls her out to the ground. And then he steals the car and drives away. Of course. I don't know what she thought was going to happen. And she gets a minute where she's looking at the uh, Milky Way. It doesn't kind of look like a big cosmic vagina, sort of. She doesn't have time to consider it. Jeffrey starts turns the car around and then starts running her down and she's sprinting back to the house because the house is surrounded by like a low stone um, wall. She runs past the gate and he slams into the garden fence, stopping the car. Mm-hmm. And in the headlights on the front lawn under the apple tree, Harper collapses crying. Allison, all right, here's the final. This is like, we're just going to get into it. I'm just going to describe what's happening. I'm not even going to okay. op- op- opine about it. We'll see. 
<laughs> we see instead of Jeffrey stepping into the headlights on the lawn, it's the green man. His head is now completely greened out. Okay. His head is made of leaves, and he looks like the image of the green man we've seen on the baptismal font yes. at the church. He steps forward, and his ankle snaps in the exact same way as James is dead. Allison, the green man, rears backwards, and we see he's massively pregnant. And we see his what? hairless vagina open. I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, the green man's getting a Brazilian grow yeah, up. Yeah, getting waxed. Because he does have pubes. Going into town. He has pubes when he has a dick. And I did, I was like... Yeah, oh, see, I'm that's sorry, a vagina, and you, but I mean, and that's a whole other thing, the gynophobia of, ever, of it all. Yeah. But his vagina opens, and a little wet baby man is born and starts crawling towards Harper. It's the child no. Samuel. Okay. Allison, he's crawling as she backs up. His pregnant belly grows large, and then his vagina opens, and a baby emerges. He's given birth to the vicar. Alice, do you know where this is going? Allison, uh, Harper's, Allison, it's you now. You're going inside. <sighs> the vicar's crawling inside after her because his ankle's broken. He can't even stand up. Allison, you're not going to believe this, but the victor also grows pregnant and gives birth to Jeffrey. Yeah. And he has his ankle broken, his arm split. At this point, I'm like, okay, all right. I guess. You know, like, I guess. Also, Harper has stopped reacting, so I'm not reacting. I'm like, yeah. she's not scared. She's not screaming. What the fuck right. am I supposed to be? Like, she's like, okay, yeah, you already did this yeah. four times, you know. And you're not going to believe this. Jeffrey gives birth, and but out of his mouth, feet first, he births, has an oral birth of Harper's husband, James. And he comes out feet first, first nude. And Harper goes to pick up the axe out of the fireplace. And James stands up, but instead of attacking her or giving birth, he kind of just falls out of the couch, which I thought was a funny choice. Yeah, that's fun. And she sits down next to him and says, Harper, look at me. I died. My arm is run through, my ankle snapped, my internal organs crushed. This is what you did. And she says, James, what do you want from me? And he says, your love. And she says, yeah. Title card, men. In the morning, we see Riley arrive. The car is crushed. There is blood all over the lawn. So the stuff that we saw ostensibly did happen. Yes, something happened. And she finds Harper covered in blood sitting in the back on these stone steps and we see Riley is pregnant and Harper looks up and she's holding a little leaf and she smiles at Riley. The end. What? Allison, what is this movie about? I don't know. I, d I thought for a minute, I was like, okay. And it like, nope, not even remotely uh, down that path. Um, I guess, yeah. like, I, like... I, it feels like they are making a point that, like, you know, weirdly, as I said at the beginning, like, and also the way that it was cast, that, like, all men are the same or, like, conspiratorially connected. But, like, I don't really get it. Yeah. Um, I think, and again, to, to bring up um, the fact that James is a black man— I think yeah. that it is that is just his his not understanding that you, you, to insert a person of color into a black man yeah. into a story about men and it's, to not address that is yeah. you're just fumbling it like you, because then, like I, it doesn't seem like that was some there was no commentary there was no purpose aside from we cast this guy yeah like and they it, weren't making a statement I so don't think so unless we shouldn't is like, like read into it that there was more than. He's just another guy in this. 
That's what but I that's think. Weird. I agree. And so just a, a bizarre choice. Yeah. I think what we're supposed to, I think this is sort of like, because he also did Ex Machina, which I did mm-hmm. like. Um, but I kind of had the same thing where like, I, I am not saying by any stretch of the imagination that a man cannot make a movie about women's experiences. Yeah, but. But, uh, for example, and the, what I always use is, um, oh God, what is his fucking name? Uh, Bo Burnham, eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I think, like, for example, it's like, that is an incredible work that is, like, of, like, sympathy yeah. and empathy and, like, understanding. This is trying to this understand um, women's experience. And what I took it to mean is that, like, the green man is, like, part of men's nature that— and I don't know if we're saying, like, we're always going to rape. Like, they're always going right. to rape. Like, which is what um, the vicar was saying. Like, I'm a swan. Like, men as, like, driven by this, like— Female— you know, attraction and yeah, but I think the thing about control. that is um, that only. I mean, I'm not saying that their biology isn't real, but I think more and more, you know, as a queer person, as a feminist, as someone who is in any way engaged with these concepts of like transness or like non-binaryness, yeah. is that like all a lot of ideas of men and women are reinforced by the patriarchy. And more broadly, all these systems. So then to be like, well, it's, hey, ladies, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? It kind of was like, oh, you don't even understand making this that you as a man. It's not like it's like, oh, well, men are like this. Women are like this. I think we, as again, as women. Yeah, I don't. As women, I think we are forced to be like, no, I'm not just like that. Because yes. from birth, as women, we are supposed to be such like we have such a narrow definition of what we're supposed to be as cis women. And I think that this is, it's almost like exploring these things, but not questioning if they're actually like just assuming that these biological realities are real Mm -hmm. when if they were just real, we would not have to have these systems to tightly control it. You wouldn't have to have right wing people being like, Oh, men aren't men anymore. Like right. men are yeah, being yeah, feminized yeah, yeah, yeah. by sure. my like dick pills or whatever. Yeah, and right. then you wouldn't down the other side be like these fucking hairy, like feminists, they hate men, these fucking like, you know, right. these fucking bitches. They don't want to like <laughs> use as breeding stock and like yeah. household servants. Like if we, if, if, if men and women were just like this naturally, whatever that means, yeah, we wouldn't have to have these systems. And I think what's, what's frustrating right. watching this is like, it's like he can't question what's underneath it. It's just like right. presented it. And then I As just like was like biological fact. Yeah. And then to have like all the men give birth to one another, I was like, <sighs> that well, really, I don't know what we're seeing with that. I'm also like, there are men that give birth. There are trans men and trans masculine people. Non binary. Yeah. I, I mean, there probably always have been. I mean, like, it just like, this seems so late in the game to be like making it's fine that to, the thing. Yeah, it's fine to use these things, but then to not, um, I, I, I don't know. It was like, oh, here are the terrifying things about the patriarchy, which I, women, had, it's like, we know about those things. Yeah, you don't have to teach me in a movie about, like, what's scary about the patriarchy and yeah. the systems that uphold it and what it, the experience of being a woman living under it. Like, that's not something I need, like, this weird lesson in that that is confusing like if they had morphed into each other instead of giving birth to each other i would have it would have made more sense and then to give birth to her husband at the end and it was like no expiration of like like why was he so abusive and like we only really see like a little bit i don't know and then like the her friend being pregnant 
After and, seeing all these preg- men give birth to it, like what a yeah, I'm felt, confused. It felt half baked. It felt like a yeah. first draft. I'll be yeah. honest. I'll yeah, I could see that. You know, and, and there's certain elements that really it was it was beautifully shot. It's very scary. Yeah. But at a certain point, she stops being scared. So then, like, what is our scariness? Right. Like after you see that first birth, you don't have to and do it like, four I guess more times. The train we're on. I don't know. Yeah, so anyways, the reason I want to do this for Pride Month is I I really think, and I, I, I you know, this is not, not any surprise, but I do think that the, the reason that all this trans anti-trans stuff is happening is because people are fundamentally questioning, like, well, what is a man and what is a woman? And I think that's totally. actually a good thing, and it's like 100%. that we all will benefit from, unless yes. you are someone who can only retain power by reifying these ideas, a.k.a. And the keeping- religious right. Yeah, and keeping a, a, a what is objectively a hierarchy um, among the genders and among people that is not natural and doesn't really exist and is completely for the power of a few. And and like I I, I don't want to seem like again insipid or like optimistic, but I really do think this where it's like someone was tweeting and they said like you know the only way we're going to end white supremacy is for white people to realize that it's killing them too. And I do feel like that's that's also yes. a conversation you're having. This is like. The mm-hmm. patriarchy will change when men realize it's killing them too. I feel like the men I know, and granted, like, you know, we, we live in bubbles, whatever, we're yeah, woke or we whatever. Like, yeah. But, like, I feel like our friends having children and then having to raise sons and daughters, like, you know, or, or, or themselves being like, what is my own gender? It, right. it is asking that question, and that's why the right has to panic. It's like, it's actually a really good question to ask. It's 100%. your gender. You're allowed to question it. Right. And then it, then it does necessarily require a question of like, okay, well, all the stuff I thought, is that true of me? Do I have to abide exactly. by that? And for a lot of people, right. the answer is no, and I don't have to do it. So, no. No. Um, yeah, so that's why I wanted to do this for Pride Month, because I feel like Pride is about celebrating queerness, but it is also about investigating straightness. And especially right now, like all the target stuff yeah. where it's like, there is a level of panic around trans people specifically because the patriarchy and gender roles sit under so much. And yes. it's not like they're quote unquote more important than say white supremacy. It's that like it, the whole system is a white cis hetero patriarchy. Yes. And unfortunately I like, unless we genuinely move past those things. And dismantle it, there is, like, it will continue to dictate how an especially vocal small group yeah. gets to wield power over everyone else. Yes, exactly. And force us back into these roles, which, uh, you know, again, as women, as yep. as as a queer person, as feminists, as any, yeah. anyone who has, has had Human to beings. step outside of it and not just be like, <laughs> Yes, I am a man. I am an engine of uh, rape and violence. Or, like, I am a woman. I am designed to be victimized. And I am a vessel to be filled by God's semen or whatever. Yes. Like, fuck that F- for everybody. Fuck that for anybody who, you know, we have to move past that in yeah. order to um, do anything at this point. I mean, we can't even have bathing suits and fucking Target for trans people. So we got to, you know what I mean? We got to figure something out, you know? So, okay, so you guys work yeah. on that. We'll work on that. And then we'll be back here next month, next week. Sorry. Yep. We'll all work and, on that um, next week. And, It'll be solved. Wait, do we do fatal mistakes yet? No. Okay, so what were some fatal mistakes? Oh, if no. you could pinpoint one that you think um, someone, specifically Harper, may have made in this movie. Fatal mistakes. Going to a place by yourself inherently should not be something that ultimately ends in danger. But to go and to not 
tell people what's going on. Have like why did it why did it take like two days to give your friend your location yeah. over the phone? Like that should you should have been like, here's where I'm gonna be. If if things go south, like come here. Like to not leave and to take kind of every man's word as no, this is fine. You can be here. This is nothing. Like the cops being yeah. like, no, we don't think he's actually that dangerous. And, you know, to not tell the Airbnb owner that like you've this guy's out and around. Like I, it's just the the not saying something is always the most absolutely. And and to and she just kept doing it. And she just there was no moment of like right. and that's what they're saying. It kind of gets boring like, at the end. Like even she's not scared. Right. And she never and, ever was uncomfortable no. enough to change her behaviors. And it's like, well. Then okay, and also I guess she was right too because nothing really bad happened to her. Yeah, I mean, like she left the. I, I assume she went back to where she lived and kept doing whatever she does. Yeah, her car was totaled, but she wasn't like killed by any of these guys. Right. So I guess actually there was no mistakes because it all kind of worked out. It She's was alive. Vacation. Yeah, but um, yeah, okay. I you guess know, uh, uh, good for her. Um, and then where would you put men on the spooky scale, Allison? A spooky scale. I think so much of it, obviously, I can tell it's really beautiful. I think, like, once you start clocking that it's all the same actor, there is, like, an eeriness to it. But the confusion does bring it down. Um, So I think it's, like, a four and a half for me. Yeah, I'm going to give this, because, I again, like, really shot when you see the the first man, essentially the green man, Mm. running down the tunnel. Mm -hmm. It's fucking terrifying. When you, like... Those early things are so promising that the letdown by the end. And honestly, I think you could have done kind of the same movie. We need a body count. We yeah. need fucking murder. And it can't be of the um, avatars or like the different no, versions because be we know that's not real. real and visceral and like something that you actually yeah. react to. Like threat. We need threat. If you if she's being threatened, we need for threats. some reason that threat to heighten. Yes. And give it birth to each other, baby. That that's that's not gonna cut it. <laughs> I'm going to give this a two. Yeah. And God, when this trailer came out, I'm like, yes. Yeah, I remember. We were so excited to do it as a live show. And then you saw it and we're like, we can't do this as a live show because I have things to say. So I'm glad we finally did it now. And it fits in the context of like the kind of themes and things we're talking about and the horrifying nature of what's happening in this country and how we treat people. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely, um, a a letdown. Yeah. But, um, listen again, we're not. We haven't made a horror movie yet, so who are we to criticize? Um, right. But thank you, everyone, for listening. And yes. again, go to votesaveamerica.com/slash/fuckbans mm-hmm. um, to donate Let's... and find out more about how you could support specifically queer and trans youth and their family. Yes. I realize I should have done this in the last episode too. Um, if you are in the DC area in June, I will be at the Kennedy Center for a week doing my show. Oh I got a show that. about abortion. That's great. Um, the twentieth to the twenty fifth. It's like a Tuesday to a Saturday. There's lots of shows. It's the Kennedy Center. I mean, um, so if you have any interest in seeing the show and seeing me, like please, please come. And you can find those details, um, I guess, on the Kennedy Center's website. And you know, I'm sharing it quite a bit, but. Uh, one of those shows will be the anniversary, um, timing-wise, it worked out, um, the anniversary of the passing of Dobbs and the rollback of abortion rights in this country. So um, it'll be kind of powerful. We're hoping maybe some very cool D.C. folks come out. So if you are in that area or want to travel there, please come. And maybe, maybe <laughs> Anna Wintour will stop by. We'll see if she's in town. 
Um, well, until then, that's, that's very it. exciting. I I wish I could go, but yeah. please well. go in my stead. And <laughs> yes. until next week, we love you very much. And we love please you. keep it spooky. Keep it spooky. Hey, everyone, uh, uh, we have an exciting de- <laughs> development. Thank you. And that is we're having a guest on the pod, which we have done in the past. No, kind of infrequently it was a very special guest for Pride Month and then of course is my my ex-fiance Dave Schilling uh, if, you, if you're a longtime listener of the pod he was a boyfriend of the pod fiance of the pod ex of the ex-boyfriend of the pod and now by friend of the pod the role he was always meant to play Dave, Dave thank you for joining me that was, that's great. Yeah, that's the perfect intro. Thank you. Uh, this is I've been on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reminded of that recently and uh, it's nice to be back. Under um, completely different circumstances. Truly, yeah. And if you're if you've listened, if you're a listener who has listened for years, you are familiar with Dave, uh, both as a character in the Ruined Universe and from being on uh, the show himself. And um, if you're new, uh, yeah, Dave and I uh, dated for three years. We lived together in beautiful Los Angeles, California. We actually moved in together right before the pandemic. And spent a lot of time indoors watching horror movies. It was kind of one of our main and drinking, I would say, our main two events. Yeah. And um, yeah, we we I came out last June, so literally a year ago this this month, and we broke up. And since then, have been on on sort of the journey of our next stage. Oh, I'm gonna cry of our relationship, and it's been really great. But we wanted to talk about this at the end of Men because Men was one of the last movies we saw together, and we both agreed two thumbs down. <laughs> Two big stinky thumbs up my butt. Now, do you remember the movie at all, or like, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts about Men Then, and how do you think about it now? Well, you know, I'm glad you brought up the connection between our relationship and the movie mm-hmm. because I think it probably colored some of my feelings about it. You were already starting to kind of pull away. For the record, everybody should understand. Like, Hallie and I got engaged on her birthday in May. Mm-hmm. We were broken up in June. Yeah, it was a one month, like almost a thirty day to the to the yeah. day period between us getting engaged and us breaking up. And so in that mix, we saw we still saw movies because that was what we'd like to do, mm-hmm. and we still like to do that together. And one of those movies we saw was Men because Hallie and I both love Annihilation, mm-hmm. um, Ex Machina, obviously a great film. I love Dread, uh, which Alex Garland wrote. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I was super psyched for this movie, and yes, I was completely too. disappointed. Completely disappointed. And it's one of those because it was one of those trailers that when it came out, everyone's like, "All right, like this." It felt new. It felt like okay, we don't know why is this one performer playing all these different characters. Like it felt novel in a way that as a horror watcher, you're constantly searching endlessly for something something unique, and then to see it, what a bust. Yeah, and it it was it came at a time when we were all thinking about gender. Not again. We're always thinking about gender, but especially, mm-hmm. you know, in that time, um, in twenty twenty two, we're thinking about it and we're wondering like, how are we going to move past the Trump era and all of that stuff? And of course, Hallie was thinking about it, unbeknownst to me, because she was realizing that she was a lesbian. And you know what's interesting? Because I'll just give some listeners, um, and I've, I've mentioned this concept before, but please Google comphet, compulsory heterosexuality. I they just to start this. But you know, because uh, I we got engaged and then I was really physically going through it. Like I was like, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating. 
And I I knew that. I was like, well, it's probably not a good sign for our, our engagement, but I wasn't sure what was going on. And also, I had been traveling a lot from work and I had horrible sleep. I was sort of like dealing with stuff from travel. So I was already not doing so well. So I went to therapy pretty much as soon as I went to therapy. You know, it had, I think it was like sex, second session. My the therapist was like, have you heard of the concept of compulsory heterosexuality? And I was like, well, unfortunately I have because when I was on TikTok, I would say 50% of the videos I got were, was a slightly older woman be like, here's how I figured out I was, you know, a queer person. And I was like, yes, queen, go off. And had no, it just didn't internalize it whatsoever. Um, yeah. And then, so I, so I sort of realized, I think it was like the first weekend of June last year. And then I spent two weeks trying for it to not be true. And I was like, well, if I just wait, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I thought I was like, I'm, I got to hold the fucking door closed with my foot or whatever. So two of the worst weeks of my life. And then eventually I told Dave. And during those times, we saw both Crimes of the Future, which we did in <laughs> April and loved. And, and I was also like vibrating, you know, and then mm-hmm. men. <laughs> we should see two movies that are about how men are terrible and the body is a prison. Oh my God. Like, if we, could all, if we could just come up with two... Two better movies. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I would, like, it'd be impossible. No, I know. It's like, that was, it's not like we saw like Jurassic World or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know, like, did not. The Super Mario movie. But yeah, it, it, I think watching this movie again for the podcast, I, I think, you know, another element of it that, you know, we've talked about is um, to, to cast a black man whose sole role in the film is to, one, be the only black person. And then to be a monster. We are not given any other part of their relationship. There's no... It just starts a monstrosity. And then to see that black man be horribly, die horribly after physically assaulting a white woman, for us as a couple, I was like, no thanks. Like, this is like, what are we saying? And we we actually talked about this recently with um, uh, another friend of the pod, Naomi Paragon, and a wonderful comedian, and then her husband, Andy Beckerman. We kind of talked about this movie um, and how much it stinks. And part of it was like, why? so why cast the villainous husband with the only black person in the movie. I wanted to see your thoughts on that, Dave. Um, I, we talked about this contemporaneously to seeing the movie. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, and I, I think I still believe this, there's often a thought of, well, we can't cast people of color in the leads because we can't sell this overseas or we, you know, domestically won't do as well in the case of the UK or whatever, whatever the like prejudice racist idea is that prevents black people and Mm -hmm. Latino people and Asian people from being the leads in in movies. We can cast a black person or a, you know, a person of color in general in one of the supporting parts. Mm -hmm. That way we have some diversity, but we're not ruining the earning potential, the box office potential of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the case here. Because as you as you talked about earlier in the episode, there is no concern or interest in race in this movie. Right. Which is weird because Rory Kinnear plays every man in this town. Mm-hmm. And every man in this town is white. And there's only one black person in the movie and he's also an abusive person. Like every man is an abuser in this movie. Obviously, right. that's the point of the film is that every man carries the stain of, of toxic masculinity and it continues to um, recycle itself across time. Mm-hmm. But race is important yes, yeah. in the world. It's impo- it was important in our relationship yeah, and, and how we responded to each other. And and I think, you know, uh, being a, a, you know, a white woman, dating a black man, it's like, I, 
not that I want to be clear, not that I was saying racist stuff all the time, but we certainly had conversations. We were like, hey, what are you doing? You know, or like, have you thought about this? And I do think it's like, this is a, this movie is the perfect example of like, whiteness is invisible to white people. So the yes. director was like, oh, we need to have somebody of color because that's sort of like the morally right thing to do, you know? And also what I think is, and I think this is, we've talked about this too, is like, I think another part of it is I think maybe he just cast a person of color as a visual contrast to the fact that everyone else, the every other man was played by the same white man, which is even dumber to then not address race if you're using it as a stylistic choice. But I think, um, yeah, it's like, it also feels very British to me, like the way that race is not engaged with, like at least in America, people would be up in arms in a way that we're like, people would have this conversation. And it's like, did no one say to Alex Garland, like, what, what is this supposed to be? Like, what are you trying to say? Why do this if you're not, not going to talk about race? He's horribly maimed and disfigured. And we see his body brutally, like, it is It is a brutal scene and it's meant to evoke it in us and in the character. Like, it's horrible when you see his body. And it's very realistically horrible. Yeah, and it, it you can't help but think about images of, of mutilated black bodies in segregated South. Mm-hmm. You immediately think about that. In the UK, maybe not so much because they didn't have segregation. The racism was more um, just kind of like a fact of life than legally mandated, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I want to I want to say, like, I want to name the actor. Mm-hmm. His name is Papa Isidu, and he, he was in I, I, I May Destroy You. I, hopefully I didn't butcher his name. He's a very accomplished Shakespearean actor. And, and he's he has, great in it. I mean, he's great he at what the his role best. is. Absolutely. But, but you know, he's marginalized and yeah. abused and, and, and eviscerated by this movie. Yeah. And it's all for shock value. And it doesn't have any intellectual relationship to the fact that they cast a black person. And so the, beyond the movie maybe not clicking because it's just kind of ambles from scene to scene and uh, it all builds up to the silliest climax of all time <laughs> with the multiple births. Um, this this part is just infuriating to me outside of the, the craft of the movie because I think it's important to separate the craft of a film yeah. from the... Um, the messages that it is portraying. Because mm-hmm. those are different things. I, I, I don't want to say like, oh, it's a bad movie because I didn't yes. appreciate how it portrayed black uh, characters. Instead, I want to separate that and say like, this is important to talk about, but it was also kind of a bad movie too. Absolutely. And I think that those things, that you're right that they're different, but they also reinforce each other. Because I think we've talked a lot about like, I, I, we're taking a moratorium on the podcast about having horror movies with children in them. Now you could have a well done horror movie with a child in it. A lot of people can't make that movie. So the um, inability of the the filmmaker uh, does make violence, for example, against children or committed by children, it, 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 the craft does affect how it comes across and then does affect your competence and your ability to to sort of use those kinds of extremely graphic and upsetting images, in this case of a, a, a dead a black man's body. I do think there is a horror movie in which you can see those images but then to not have the competence to understand that you have to like fully address that and make it part of the movie, it, it, it's almost like it is it is a an incompetence of filmmaking to not to ignore race or or to ignore gender. Like at this point in the game, like to, we've seen people 
effectively do it in horror. And then to see this, you're like, have you not seen enough horror movies? Like, do you not understand what you're depicting and how it's going to end? And I guess he didn't. It's not even horror seeing horror movies. Mm -hmm. It's seeing history Mm -hmm. and understanding history and, and understanding what it is that you are portraying. Yeah. You're, the, the, the black man is mentally ill, which there's nothing wrong with being mentally ill. Or, or, you know, I want to stress that. The, the people need to deal with their, with their mental health problems. But it's, it's portraying him not as someone who is sick and is seeking help, but someone who is an abuser more than you know, mental, mental illness. It's his abuse, um, his violence, his, his cruelty, and his gaslighting. Mm-hmm. which is already part of the stereotype around black men. Yeah. Is that they're violent and they're uncontrollable. And then the way that he is dispatched. Mm-hmm. It's, it's repulsive. It's terrible. It's just a lack of, it's a lack of context and it's intellectually lazy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like you feel as the audience, like, well, I, I'm capable of having a more nuanced conversation with myself about this. Why is the movie not doing that? And I think also then it does set up, which I, you know, and the other aspect, of course, this film is gender, where it is a uh, a man trying to understand women's experience of, you know, the this the threat of men in the world and i have a very specific feeling about that both as a queer person as a woman which is to um ascribe we've sort of have a difference about what you think the movie says about this to me the movie is to says men are innately violent and as a white woman you are you are simply a victim you're going to walk through the world a victim and this you know the men's violence will propagate itself on you or whatever. And that to me is also a very intellectually lazy way to look at it. Yeah. Not even on her through her. That's the thing is like, there's constant um, images of pregnancy or fertility. Like the, the, the two um, pagan creatures, right? The Sheila the gig and the green man. Yeah. Those are fertility symbols. And at the end, her friend is pregnant when she comes to visit her in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's constantly images of fertility in this movie. And that, to me, says, like, oh, this this is about how women are physically and biologically complicit in toxic masculinity, kind of, which is weird to say. I agree, because it's the idea that, like, this is an inescapable— women's victimization is inescapable, so we're sort of not even actors in the reproduction reproductive project. It's just, it, you know, because literally it's men giving birth to men, and it, it's sort of, like, completely ignoring the ways, both that, like— um that 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 women facilitate and are a part of patriarchal structures, and also just the idea. And again, on this podcast, we're also we're always talking about sort of the anti-trans ma- mania in America and in the UK too. The idea that um, biological sex then it's like, well, men are just going to do this, and like as a woman, like what are you going to do? And which ignores both the fact that that's not true and men men's violence is uh, created and reinforced by the patriarchy, but then women also are complicit in it and also reinforce it. We are not just victims. And and I think right now, for example, like where people sort of like talk about trans women in women's spaces, that conversation relies on the idea of especially white cis women's victimhood in a way that implies like, well, of course they're going to come in and whatever, start raping people. Like it's this like incredibly violent um 
uh, rhetoric that is just, I think there's this idea that like men and women, they're just biological realities. And what we're finding out is if they were, then we wouldn't have to have these intense structures to maintain the concept of a man and a woman and masculinity and, and femininity. And maybe as a feminist, I just feel so like, yeah, nature's fine, but it doesn't mean we have to do everything as if like somehow we're just animals, you know? Well, well, I mean, the idea of nature is fine is is an interesting one to unpack because the movie has all this nature imagery and, mm-hmm. and, and pagan fertility symbols and, and nature is like a, a really important aspect of this folk horror kind of pastiche. Nature is something that maybe we don't need to adhere to so much. We have agency. Human yeah. beings have agency. And they have the ability to live the life that they want to live, or at least they should. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about all of the highfalutin language in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence, that is ostensibly what the country is founded on. Yeah. But let's remember, this movie was not made in America. Mm-hmm. This is a British movie. Mm-hmm. And the anti-trans rhetoric really started mostly in the UK or with British media figures. And boy, they're really going for it over there. Yeah, like they're going nuts. J.K. Rowling. Yes. Graham Linehan, who created the IT crowd. These are two of the loudest voices and have been for years. Graham Linehan lost his career, but J.K. Rowling still gets to collect royalty checks every day from Harry Potter toys. Um, but those people, like the the turf movement seems like it's really focused on the UK, or the UK is where it kind of flowered at the beginning, at least in my understanding and awareness of the intellectual movement around anti-trans attitudes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's partially what's going on with this movie, that it's so focused on the gender binary and the way men and women relate to each Mm -hmm. other and how they fit into the natural balance of things. And the inevitability of it, like the inescapable Mm -hmm. inevitability of it, which is like, as a queer person, as a feminist, as an American, I'm like, the only thing we have is to constantly revisit these these ideas and these systems. Because at least in America, and I do think, you know, we've said this on the pop before, but it's like that the anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ stuff is tied to the religious right and tied to conservatives. So I think more people who have like, that makes things a little more clear like what we're talking about because here in America, they want to, it is like, it's, for example, it's a tied to anti-abortion rights. Well, women, it's, it's women should not, it's unnatural to get an abortion. It's unnatural for women to be able to uh, women and people who could be pregnant to control their pregnancies. Like it's unnatural. Now it's, it's unnatural to be queer. It's unnatural to be trans. Like the idea of uh, being compelled towards nature watching this, it's like, okay, but you know that like people are constantly working to not have to do what this movie seems to think is an inevitability, which is victimization of men by women or feminine feminine people by masculine people. Like we're, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time being like, we don't have to live this way. And then yeah. at least in America, it is the religious, religious concerned people who are like, no, it's the natural order. This weird. Yeah. And it's like, you shouldn't have to fight the natural order if it's natural. Yeah. I mean, I, I, w- I want to circle back to our particular situation because I think it's it's instructive or hopefully useful for people who are struggling with this stuff. Is you know you you obviously for thirty seven years of your life weren't able to be 
queer, weren't able to be the person that you wanted to be or that you were supposed to be, that you are. Because of the way that things are ordered and the way people say you have to do this or you, you have to do that, that you have to put labels and names on things all the time. And it was really heartbreaking to go through our, our breakup because I thought, you know, when originally like something was wrong with me or, you know, that I had made some sort of mistake or I'd chosen poorly, um, whatever it was. I, a lot of, I put a lot of emotional baggage on myself. And eventually, you know, through therapy and, and talking to you and spending time getting to know you better than I even knew you before, I understood that it was not a, it had nothing to do with me. It was about you and that you had never had the opportunity to imagine a different kind of life for yourself. So you couldn't imagine being your true authentic self because that was not allowed. And I I kind of feel that way too. You know, we we you you sort of pressured not pressured me, that's unfair, but you you gently prodded me. You in, in, enthusiastically encouraged me to come out as bisexual. And I got to say, it really helps mm-hmm. just to yeah. be yourself and to not think that, like, well, I have to be one way or the other or these these I, these thoughts are, are strange or different. I need to be kept to myself. Exactly. Like, we had always talked about, like, my interest in, in same-sex attraction when we were together, when we were in our relationship. And I never wanted to say it publicly mm-hmm. or, like, talk about it or put a name on it mm-hmm. because I didn't think that that was— an acceptable expression. Absolutely. And I think, um, first of all, I do feel like it's like, that was one of the seeds of my queerness where I'm like, great, that seems good. (laughs) Thumbs up. Well, of course you're attracted to men. What's wrong with that? But yeah, I think for me, and I think hearing you say that, I think a lot, this is true of of us and then I think of people more broadly, where I think we're, um, a lot of people are just told, especially queer people and trans people, where it's like your internal life doesn't matter. Like your internal life and, and, if it is related to sex, like that, that that is inherently perverse or it's inherently like objectifying or gross or something. And so I think for me, from a young age, being raised in the Catholic church, particularly, but it's just a woman in general, like the message you get is like, well, your internal life is like, first of all, shut up if you have any problems about it. And then if you, if you are queer, you kind of just like have to monitor that as like something different and wrong and strange versus heterosexuality, which is, of course, the right way to be. Meanwhile, every heterosexual person in the world has had gay thoughts, but they're supposed to punish themselves for it, you know? And queerness allows for people to be like, I don't I don't have to do any of that. And I will say, as a queer person, that people are, uh, queer people, some queer people are still down on bisexuals, and I reject that out of hand because that's insane. And I didn't become, like, I didn't come out to then police other people's sexuality or gender expression, first of all. But second of all, the idea of straightness versus queerness is itself a fallacy. Like the idea that like we have like that we have to think about ourselves and label ourselves ignores the fact that like human sexuality is just this fluid living thing and that's what it should be. But of course, we don't live in that society in large part because of religion and you know my case was Catholicism. The idea that like we are like we are only supposed to be having procreative heterosexual sex, and if you are attracted to someone who is you know of the of a of the same gender, or if you don't want to have that kind of sex and whatever that looks like, then that is I don't want to say an abomination, but like it is like it is something. <laughs> I mean, in, in a religious on. idea, I don't think that I you know be like it's like the, the idea that it's somehow so outside the realm of reality where it's like no no this is reality right. 
And I think for me, from a young age, for a lot of different reasons, but certainly religious ones, my internal life didn't mean anything. And I think everyone walks around and it, in, in their own way in, in whatever it's like, whether it's how, you know, your relationship or your career or like race, is it, you know, like class, like we're supposed to quietly be miserable. And then that's just kind of how it is. And at least as a Catholic, that's sort of how it is. And I think to me, queerness was like the, the only reason I realized I was queer was like, well, what if what if there is nothing wrong with me? What if what if th- there's nothing wrong with this? I'm going to cry. And if so, then what does that mean? You know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, obviously we are very fortunate and like we're both 40 and live in L.A. I'm 38. So sorry, I'm 39. Um, but, but then you <laughs> see like teenagers in Florida, you know, or Texas. And it's like that's they should be able to have what what perhaps we couldn't have had, which is, yeah, I'm, I'm queer and I'm a teenager. I'm trans and I'm a teenager. And because... We realize that people realize that that is when you sort of start figuring that out, they have to push back even harder, you know? And we grew up during the 90s, which was deeply homophobic. I I, I mean, like, insanely transphobic. And then we've made this progress. And in Backlash to real progress, they have to double down and go crazy, right? And so, I don't know, watching this movie even a year later, it feels like these are such retrograde ideas, which are fine, but then you also have to have the level of craft to like do something with them rather than like, Hey, what are you going to do? Hey, yeah, you it's, know, it's what it says to a man, a boy watching this movie. Let's say a 15 year old boy was like, Ooh, I want to see this movie. It's called men. Maybe it's going to be edgy and like fun, whatever. It's not fun, <laughs> but it is edgy. You put it in, or you put it in. <laughs> There's no DVDs anymore. I'm such an old bastard. I'm like, oh, you put your disc inside the slot, and then you press play. You know, you go on. Well, we all should be getting DVDs now because uh, everything's being taken off streaming. So we should be getting Blu-rays. Absolutely, buy Blu-rays of the movies and TV shows that you love. But the point I wanted to make is a, a, a boy watches this mm-hmm. or a woman watches this, whoever. It doesn't matter your gender expression, your sexuality. You put this in and the movie says men and women are different. They're just different. And it's been that way since the beginning mm-hmm. of time. And look at all of this mystical shit yeah. in the world that says we're different. Yeah. And men are all the same and they're horrible. Yes, they're the worst. Yeah. They're garbage. They're monstrous is what it is. Me- Imagine watching that as a as an impressionable child and saying, well, there's something inherently wrong with me. Yeah. There's something wrong with me. And what I want to say to people listening to this show is there's nothing wrong with you. You are the product of your environment mm-hmm. and you can change. But these mo- this movie says, no, you can't. Because that's what British culture says to their children all the time. <laughs> they have a caste, a caste system where you're upper class, lower class, uh, you know, middle class doesn't exist. You're either here or you're up or you're down. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a binary when it comes to gender in the UK where they can't understand the subtleties of gender, the subtleties of sexuality, or the fact that trans people are trans women are women. Like they can't understand that. And so this movie is bullshit because of that. And don't feel bad about yourself if you're listening to this and you do feel bad about yourself or you think there's something wrong with you. 
there's something wrong with all of us yeah. <laughs> because we're we've lived in this horrible society <laughs> for uh, for our entire lives that tells us we're not allowed to be happy. Or the yeah. only thing that will make us happy is buying things. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself, people. <laughs> Go to therapy. Yes. <laughs> like exercise, love whoever you want to love and don't don't hurt yourself because this movie says that there's something wrong with you and you should hurt yourself. Um, I also think, like, the movie, again, to misunderstand, like, casting a black person, it's like, at least in America, where it's like, if you're black, you have to figure out a way to love yourself. Like, you ha- like because society is set up in a way to drive you insane. You know what I mean? Like, white like white supremacy. I mean, again, much like we see all the anti-trans, you know, sort of panic. What These, these Christian white nationalists, like, that's not a coincidence that they're Christian and white nationalists, you know, at least not in America. And to then cast a, a black person, um, you know, I don't know what it's like over in the UK. I, I you know, I, we, we've certainly seen images from the UK in the 70s. You know what I mean? I don't, we know they have their own history of, like, white supremacy. But again, to cast it and be like, I'm not interested in exploring any of this or, like, what a black person would have had to think about with regards to his own masculinity or his own manhood. I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to have a bunch of guys give birth to each other. And maybe if it had been like 20 minutes, if it had been like a Twilight Zone episode, maybe this would have been okay. But a full movie, it's like, baby, you don't got enough here. I'm sorry. Nope. Nope. But it did hopefully get us closer to where we are now, you and I. It didn't, so, it didn't hurt. Thank you, Alex Garland, for making this movie that sucked. <laughs> yeah, it, it helped us. And thank you to um, our couples counselor, Seth. Shout out to Seth. Um... We went to a couples counseling for two months after we broke up, and I it was great. And I, I'm always ta- telling people to go to the couples counseling. Go pre, go with whoever. Go with a sibling. Go with a family member. Go as soon as you start dating someone, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. Because it was great. It was great to have more language and, like, a space to talk about, you know, our breakup. And, and then our, both of us, you know, our queerness. And I think our queerness is why we still have a relationship. You know, Seth, Seth was great, but, like, you know, I think having room, we all need more room. And our queerness was room for us, for our relationship to change and look like it is now, which I'm extremely proud of. Oh, I'm going to cry. And extremely yeah, grateful you, that we that we still, you know, are in, in each other's lives. Yeah. I mean, I think and this is coming out during Pride Month, and I think it's important to to look at queerness as an opportunity to see the full possibilities of the universe. Mm-hmm. And it is possible to be close to someone that you've broken up with. That it's possible to have relationships that um, can be platonic. They can be sexual. They can be whatever they need to be because the person is is the thing that matters, mm-hmm. not the not the circumstance or the the you know the transference of physical um, intimacy. It's about intimacy as a holistic idea. And so Hallie and I are still very intimate as as really, really good friends. And I tell her things I wouldn't tell anybody else. But that only is possible because I I allowed it to be possible. And she allowed it to be possible. So anything you want can come true if you are able to imagine it. And that is the lesson of pride, baby. Yeah. Happy Pride Month, Dave. Yeah, can I plug? Yes. Oh, yes. Plugs, plugs, plugs. Okay, plugs. plug. I got a plug. I got a plug. You can still follow me on Twitter at Dave underscore Schilling. And for those of you who want more musings and 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 witticisms about gender and sexuality, I'm starting a Substack. 
It's called How Not to Be a Man. It's about um, my journey to better understand my own idea of masculinity and and advice, you know, for men who don't necessarily want to just read about how to groom your pubes. Um, well, you also I, have I, that I, there too. Yes, I will absolutely have pube grooming <laughs> on there at some point. Maybe that'll be the first piece that that you all read is is how to trim those those gnarly ball those bad hairs. Boys. Um, yeah. So you can find that at DaveShilling.substack.com. Um, I hope you read it. Thank you. Well, th- Dave, thank you for coming on. I love you very much. I love you too, Hallie. Um, do you want to say the uh, our site our our slogan our motto with me? As a sign off. Okay. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Happy Pride Month. We'll be back at it again next week. And in the meantime, please keep keep it spooky. Thank you, Dave. Don't forget to follow us at Ruin Podcast and Crooked Media for show updates. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Ruined is a Radio Point and Crooked Media production. We're your writers and hosts, Hallie Kiefer and Allison Leiby. The show is executive produced by Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder, and recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. From Crooked Media, our executive producer is Kendra James, with production and promotional support from Ari Schwartz, Kyle Sieglin, Julia Beach, Caroline Dumphy, and Awa Okalati. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.